Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, well, welcome to Season 5 of the HBG Bible Talks podcast. feels weird to say Season 5. I know. We've come through four seasons so far where we've tried to give a good sampling of what the New Testament's about, and I think we've done just about that, where yeah. we started with the gospel of, of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Mark in season one. We talked about the book of Acts, so what the apostles were doing after that. The Sermon on the Mount was something we missed in Mark's gospel, so we went back and hit that in season three. And then what's really interesting about the gospel accounts is that they just kind of tell us about Jesus and tell us about what he did, and ultimately they all end with his crucifixion and his resurrection. But they don't always tell us what those things mean um, and why it's so important. But the book of Ephesians did, and so we went and hit hit Ephesians in uh, season four. And now we're going to turn to the book of James, which we mentioned at the end of last season, it's kind of like the wisdom book of the New Testament. Uh, I think Stephen said it's almost like the Proverbs of Proverbs the, New, of the Testament. New Testament, where you just got like kind of short sections, very practical, very down to earth. And I mean, Paul and Ephesians, obviously, there's lots of practical things, especially in the latter half of the book, but uh, a lot of concepts, a lot of like deep theological statements and, and um, ideas. And James is like, all right, guys, I'm going to tell you how it is. <laughs> like, he just jumps right in. Yeah. And uh, it's very helpful. So a bit of, a bit of a change of pace from reading, like, one of Paul's epistles. Um, James gets straight to the point, like Stephen said, which I like. And that's why every time I come to the book of James, it seems like someone introduces to me or I pick, them up, pick up on different themes that I had not seen before that are consistent throughout the book. So James is five chapters, very short. Uh, I would even encourage you on your own time, just read through it in one sitting or get out your favorite Bible app and hit play and listen to it. It won't take long at all. But the very first thing, uh, James 1, verse 1, says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So thankfully, uh, James is a name that's used really only three times in the New Testament um, that we know a popular James by, not like a, not like Simon. There's a bunch of Simons in the New Testament, but... The James that we know of in the New Testament are James, the son of Zebedee. Uh, you might remember him from our season one in the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus will actually nickname him and his brother John, the sons of thunder. Uh, so you've got that James. And that James actually dies in Acts chapter 12. Herod beheads him there. Then there was another apostle named James the Less. Um, would also be James. James the Younger. Yeah, James the Younger. Son of Alphaeus. The son of Alphaeus, that's right. And so he's mentioned in the list of the apostles. Uh, we see him again in Acts 1. And then there is James, the Lord's brother, uh, that's mentioned in Mark and in Matthew's gospel. Um, and it would be the biological brother of Jesus Christ. Or half-brother, or half-brother. as it were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were talking about that earlier. I don't know exactly what to say. You know, half-brother, full-brother. Nonetheless, they had the same mom. Um, and so that is who I suspect wrote this book. Yeah, and there's some, I think, good reasons for that. We won't go into, into depth here, but when you look at the book of Acts and you look at the book of Galatians in particular, um, you see some interesting connections with uh, James becoming an elder and, and possibly even named an apostle at some point. In, um, in the same in the, way Paul was. Mm -hmm, yeah. Kind of after the 12. But um, 
James, when he writes this book, whichever James it was, he did not see the need to say anything other than James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I will say that if this is the Lord's brother, I, I think that's the majority of the evidence points to that. Um, it's fascinating to think about him calling his brother that he grew up with the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I'm a servant of him. Like It's kind of crazy to think about. And then... Um, so James is writing, and he is writing to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. And um, there's some questions about, okay, who exactly is James writing to? Um, obviously, 12 tribes is a Jewish reference yeah, to... A little the, bit of a trigger word for the Jews, 12 right? 12 tribes of yeah. Israel. Um, and the word dispersion is pretty interesting. Um, it is used to talk in John 7 about uh, the Jews who are not living in Judea or Galilee in the Jewish area, they're scattered among the nations, living in it. They were dispersed. Um, um, it's also used of Christians, which would include Gentiles in the book of First Peter. He calls them the elect exiles of the dispersion in, in First Peter 1. So um, there are a couple of other slight Jewish things about the book of James, uh, just that uh, in chapter 2, he talks about someone coming into your synagogue. We'll talk about that when we get to it. But um, I don't think it makes a big difference uh, in this book, whether it was originally addressed to just Jews or whether he's talking kind of about spiritual Israel, the 12 tribes of God's new people. It is notable that uh, when you get to the book of Revelation, all of God's people are pictured as belonging to 12 tribes, uh, you know, symbolically uh, in that book. And so it doesn't have to be only biological Jews that James is writing to. But either way, it doesn't really change a whole lot how we read the book and apply it. Yes, and I think James is just so practical in our day-to-day lives. Um, I think there is not a, a section you cannot walk away from without finding something to apply today, like something I need to work on right here and right now. And I really felt that way when we went through the Sermon on the Mount in Season 3. And what's really cool about that is James hits on a lot of the Sermon on the Mount in yes. this small letter. And so we'll point that out as we go today or uh, throughout this season, the different times where what James is saying is really just paraphrasing what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. And that's really cool because his teaching came back to what his brother said, what Jesus Christ said. That's right. Well, let's jump in. Um, James chapter 1, we'll read verses 2 through 4, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Count it all joy, my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. All right, good deal. So he starts off with, Consider it all joy, my brothers, my brethren. And so you kind of want to anticipate, oh, what's he going to say? What do I need to be joyful about? When you encounter various trials, when right. you go through hard things. <laughs> yeah, that that's a way to start a letter. Yeah. Just like come out swinging with like, be happy when things are hard. Yeah. And it's like, how do I do that? Why, why would I want to do that? That is so counter to what I would know and what other people are doing in their lives. You know, when bad things happen in, in the world's lives, they, they melt. They don't know what to do. But he's saying we can consider it joy. Because that's an opportunity to grow. 
Yes. And oh. I didn't realize the ESV in verse 3 says, uh, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Mm-hmm. I, I love that translation. Mine says, uh, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, um, which I know Stephen, as a runner, he gets endurance really, really well. Um, but it, it, you but are... It, it comes through trial, I'll that, tell you that. That's exactly <laughs> right. The, the more you suffer, the more you go through it, the better your endurance is built up for the big run, for the big battle or, or whatever you want to say. And that's really what I think James is getting at is that, and it really spins how we look at our trials in, in a different light. Um, instead of going into the trial, of, oh man, again, are you kidding me? We get to look at it and say, oh wow, this is an opportunity to grow. Yeah. And I don't think James is saying here that like we literally have to enjoy our trials or... Um, you know, just like it, like, oh, oh boy, I get to some. But right. he's accounted joy that, okay, this is a good thing. God is blessing me through this. And this is very similar to what Jesus said about blessed are the persecuted. Uh, blessed are you when they say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Um, rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. So they persecuted the mm-hmm. prophets who are before you. Yeah. It changes our perspective on our suffering. And let me tell you, there's, there's nothing more universal to the human experience than suffering. No one can read James 1 and say, yeah, you know, I don't really need trials. I don't really suffer. I've never had any hard things happen to me. Yeah, it's like, that's uh, it's not true. Um, all of us suffer on some level. And so this is a, a, a key to living. Um, how do I suffer well? How do I suffer wisely? How can I learn to find joy in my suffering and my trials? That is a key to life um, because it's not if you're going to suffer, it's when and how are we going to suffer. And if we can learn to count it joy, I'll tell you, that will make a difference in our life. It'll make a difference in my, in my day today if I think about um, how to count it joy. And again, the one of the things that James is going to talk a lot about in this letter is the long game. You, you've got to see this not just about the moment. You've got to think about it way down the road. Yeah. And that's what he's pointing out here, is that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It won't feel good today. Um, It's going to be hard today. But tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, down the road, this will bring forth fruit for you. And that will be a blessing in your life. And then in verse 4, he he brings it to its kind of even farther down the road. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, and this word for like perfect is more that idea of like being mature, being uh, built up to the point of uh, completion. That's the idea, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When we don't suffer, we're lacking in something. Uh, going through trials and going through hardship actually completes us in different ways. It brings us to a greater sense of maturity. It brings us closer to the example of Jesus when we suffer. Uh, Peter, uh, we'll have a lot to say about this in, in the book of First Peter, but um, it's really thoughtful how James um, opens with this paradox of joyful suffering. Yeah, and I think this is an important thing to realize because I think it's so easy when we go through different trials to, to start throwing out, well, woe is me, why is this happening to me, are you kidding me, I can't believe this is happening again. And instead, if we're conditioning ourselves to, to have joy in these moments, we say, wow, what a blessing that I really that I that I get to work on these things, and that that the Lord is going to be with me, um, that He's going to take care of me as I go through this. And so it really changes your whole perspective on a trial, 
But this mindset, it doesn't come overnight. It, it takes a lot of conditioning and it needs to be something that we need to decide before the trial actually comes. You know, when, when the next trial comes, I've already made up my mind. When it happens, I'm going to put my trust in the Lord and I'm going to use this as an opportunity to grow. And so this is a mind, a very, uh, it's a choice uh, to have this kind of mindset. It, does, right. it doesn't just happen by chance. And, and guess what? Guess what you need to have this mindset? You need wisdom. Yes. And guess what you need to do if you lack wisdom? Verse 5 and following. Yeah, Yeah, let's go ahead and read that. Verses 5 through 8. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So again, it was a long time before I really tried to connect these two sections uh, about suffering, joy, and trial, and then about asking for wisdom. Because again, it feels a little bit like Proverbs, like, oh, and we're shifting gears. Like, let's talk about prayer and asking for wisdom. But they go together so well that when we suffer, we want to suffer wisely. Yeah. The question is not if we're gonna suffer, the question is will I suffer with God's wisdom and perspective and be able to count it joy because I'm suffering wisely. Um, so he says, if you lack wisdom, you need to ask God. Uh, that's where wisdom comes from. And let me just say, that's so important um, that we recognize God as the source of wisdom because the world we live in has a lot of competing sources of wisdom. That there's an, oh no, this is where wisdom is. Oh no, that's where wisdom is. And it's a little bit like the book of Proverbs. If you read the first nine chapters of Proverbs, there are these different ladies crying out. There's like lady wisdom saying, hey, come over here. I'm, I've got wisdom for you if you'll just come here. And then Lady Folly is also crying out over here, saying very similar things to Lady Wisdom. Hey, if you're naive, come in here. I'll give you good food and you'll enjoy stuff. Um, And so it reminds us a lot of those chapters of Proverbs. But he's saying, if you lack wisdom, you better go to God for wisdom. Because if you go to the world, the world will give you wisdom. But as they'll say in chapter 3, there's wisdom from above and there's wisdom from below. And that's not going to lead you to a good place. That's exactly right. And my mind immediately goes to Solomon, uh, who when he became king, God said, ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon says to him, O Lord God, you prom- your promise to my father David is fulfilled, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. So please give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for who can rule this great people of yours? Solomon realizes that he has this hard trial before him, this hard task, and there's really only one thing he wants, the wisdom of the Lord. We've got a lot of hard trials before us. There's people listening of all backgrounds, with all different experiences, with all different kinds of responsibilities that need all kind of wisdom and knowledge. Get that from God. Go ask for it. Yes. And I just love how this is here for the taking. Um, it's not hidden from us. God wants us to have wisdom. He wants us to pray for it. And he wants us to stay in his word so that we can focus on his wisdom and apply it um, in whatever circumstance that we're in. Yes. We just need to ask for it. That's right. And asking takes humility. Um, we have to recognize that we don't have it in order to ask for it. Because <laughs> um, the world's idea is, oh, if you don't know something, like, fake it yeah or you, <laughs> you, know, like you pretend know like you know it all like if, 
and especially like us as guys, like you never ask for directions. Like you got to like, figure it out or you got to know it already or whatever. He says, look, if you don't know, ask God. Like, and, and I love the way it says he gives. He gives generously and without reproach. God is not going to be like, come on, you don't know that? You should, you know. Like, no, like he doesn't reproach you for asking him for wisdom. And he gives it generously. Yep. Backs up the truck and dumps it on you. He's like, yeah. hey, like, look at how much wisdom is available. And one of the primary ways he does this is through his word. I will say this, that, like, I don't think this means we just, like, okay, I just I need to make a decision. So I'm like, pray to God for wisdom. And then, like, the answer is just going to, like, boop, like, pop into my head. Wisdom, if you read the scripture, like, comes through time and experience and careful study. One thing I appreciate about Solomon and the example uh, of his wisdom is God gave him wisdom, but he also pursued wisdom. Yes. Like, he kept studying and he brought in all these animals and plants and, like, studied God's world. Just because God gave him wisdom didn't mean he sat back and was like, okay, like, dump it in me. You know, like, no, like, he sought after it. And then a lot of the Proverbs talk how, about how important it is to seek wisdom, ask God for it. I mean, and there's a reason why, if everyone that's listening, just take a second and think about the most wise person you know. This might not be 100% true, but let me ask you, are they young or are they old? Odds are they're probably pretty old, and that's because it takes time. It takes experience. It takes a lot of pondering and life experience to gain this kind of wisdom, but it's not from our own works. It's from the wisdom of God, and so that's what we have to come back to. Yeah, and I mean, this echoes the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. That's right. And also that God knows how to give good gifts to his children. You know, Amen. what father, you know, is going to give his son a snake when he asks for a rock or a bread or whatever. Um, but he, he notes here that we have to ask in faith. Um, he describes here, what I like this word that he uses, a double-minded man. Yeah, that'll come back a couple more times in, in the book of James. Yeah, it's very interesting. So here's a man who, it's like he wants to ask God, but he's not really sure, like, that's where it's at. Like, he, maybe there's some other sources of wisdom in his life that he's like, well, how maybe I'll have, like, a little God wisdom in my life and, like, a little bit of world wisdom, too. You know, like, I'll, I'll kind of, like hedge my bets a little bit. I'll, I won't put all my eggs in one basket. I'm going to make sure that I got my bases covered. Um, and he says, no, like if you doubt that God's really going to take care of you, if you're not really trusting God to help you when you ask him for wisdom, you're like a wave of the sea. You're going to go this way when worldly wisdom tells you to go that way. And then worldly wisdom changes all the time. And you're going to be driven the other way when the winds change. And don't think that you're going to really receive things from the Lord. Um, you're unstable. You need to trust God. He is going to give you generously and without reproach. But you have to really humble yourself and say, I believe that God's way is best. I'm not going to try to get, um, you know, worldly sources of wisdom from this. Which, by the way, I don't mean like don't go to other sources. Like there's times where go ask an older Christian. Go, go ask someone who's been through what you've been through. Like one of the ways God gives us wisdom is through other people. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a blessing. Now, Proverbs will say, in an abundance of counselors, there's victory. You know, get different ideas and perspectives from godly people who are drawing from God's word. But trust that God will give you that wisdom and don't, don't doubt. 
is uh, what he says here. It, him talking about this double-minded man being like this guy who's driven and tossed by the wind and the sea, it reminds me of what we talked about in Ephesians 4. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and dis, uh, deceitful scheming, but uh, speaking the truth in love. It, it's what it comes back to is it's the truth. That's that's where true wisdom is. That's where we won't get tossed here and there. And we got to keep our head in God's wisdom if we want to avoid that. Yes. And man, I mean, what a, what a blessed way to live when we uh, have God's wisdom. We're asking God for wisdom and he's giving it to us. And that gives us the perspective to suffer well when we suffer. Which kind of segues into verses 9 through 12. Um, let's read this and think about how it relates to this section. Verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Okay, so my translation in verse 9 says, but the brother of humble circumstances. Mm, the lowly uh, brother. The lowly brother. And so I, the I think poor. the poor. I think that's yeah. exactly right. I think he's talking about people who are poor, don't have a lot of money, people who are poor in this world. Yeah, because he contrasts it with the rich in verse 10. But these poor people in verse 9, it is to their glory in their high position. So what do you think he means there? Yeah. So this section always kind of puzzled me when I was reading through James 1. Because I'm like, okay, like, count it joy. Trials produce endurance. Okay, I got that. Like, all right, ask for wisdom. Don't doubt. All right, got that. And, whoa, like, now we're talking about, like, money and riches and the poor is actually exalted. Like, none of us look at the poor and say, like, yeah, that's the way to be. Like, again, James is starting this book out with some really startling paradoxes, like, the exaltation of the poor but isn't that what jesus said blessed are the poor the poor spirit. and in luke he says blessed are the poor uh -huh. like he just yep. says yep. And, and then woe to you who are rich um he just says it that way in luke um but god has a particular i don't know how to say this he has like a, a soft spot for the needy um, he cares for people who are downtrodden and puts them in an exalted place in his kingdom. In Luke 4, when Jesus reads from the scroll of Isaiah in the synagogue, one of the passages he reads from is that he came to proclaim this gospel to the poor. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's specifically who Jesus came to, and that's a lot of the people he spent his time with. That's right. And I think about the Sermon on the Mount, you know, that's so parallel to uh, the book of James. It would have been largely poor Galileans yeah. who are there on the hillside with That's Jesus right. as he speaks the sermon to them. And I'll say this um, theme of poverty, I had not noticed until just recently um, it was pointed out to me just what a theme this is in the book of James. And that it seems like James is primarily writing to poor Christians. And when he talks about the rich, he'll talk about the poor and the rich in chapter 1, chapter 2, uh chapter 4, chapter 5, and almost every time, like, he'll address the rich a little bit, but, like, it's kind of like the them. Like, like he'll, like, they're there, but they're not really his audience. He's, he's really talking to poor people and speaking to the trials that they go through 
and giving them perspective that, okay, no, you don't have money right now or means, riches, but I'm giving you perspective so that you can rejoice in the Lord and in your high position that God has given to the poor. And one of the things I'll explain to them is, look, you don't need to be more like these rich people. You need to be more like God. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And Perhaps that was one of the issues here is that they, they were wanting to get closer with rich people or, or wanting to, to do something to, so that they could all themselves get more money or, or whatever have you. And he's trying to help them realize, don't you realize you're already rich? You, you already have everything. You're already in the high position because Christ exalted you when he saved you. Yeah. And so they have that high position in verse 9. That's right. And he also points out, and again, this is the perspective, you, you don't... <laughs> Don't covet the position of the rich man because he's just like a flower. He's like this plant he's here today and he's gone tomorrow. Um, and you hear like overtones of Isaiah 40, you know, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Mm -hmm. um, the rich are like the grass. Um, the sun rises and then flower falls off, its beauty perishes, and the rich man will fade away right in the midst of his pursuits. Ooh, like yeah. right at the tip of his power. And I mean, you see this play out over and over and over again in human history and 2020 and 2021 man i mean you don't look very far and you see wealth can be gone in an instant and so he gives perspective he's like if if you you need god's wisdom and you need to be going to god for the things you need because you're going to the rich and you're kind of pandering to them that stuff can be gone so quick mm -hmm. and that's not going to sustain you in trial the thing that's going to sustain you in trial is trusting in the Lord and persevering with perspective. And so verse 12, I think, kind of goes with this, where he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, which is what he says. You know, your, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, back in verse 2, verse 3. Um, and when you've stood the test, what's God going to give you? This the, crown of life. Crown of life. The rich has nothing that he can give you that compares with the crown of life that the Lord will give to those who love him. That's where the true riches are, is at the end. When you persevere in your race and you are steadfast to the end, that prize and that crown surpasses anything that the rich in this world can offer you. And so don't get distracted. Don't get pulled to the side. The, the rich, they're in a nice place now, but it's going to be gone like that. And you keep on keeping on. You ask God for wisdom. You suffer well. And that's that's where the true treasure is. Yeah. And I mean, the, the suffering here is nothing in comparison to, to the suffering of eternal hell and damnation. And so hang on to what you got. You're not alone. You have the Lord. You have God. And ultimately, you have his wisdom. You have his word. Just go ask for it and persevere through this trial. That, that's really uh, the, the gist of it here. And that's a good admonition for us. No, no matter what trial we're going through, the Lord is with us. And remember the crown of life that we have as long as we're walking with him. That's right. And I think just this idea of trial, uh, this is going to come up a good bit in later sections of the book as well, but particularly in chapter one, we'll talk about this some more next week too, um, the idea of a trial being the idea of a test. That this hard thing that I'm going through, whether it's poverty or whether it's some uh, persecution or whether it's some temptation. Again, we'll talk about temptation a lot next week. The, the, the thing that I'm facing is a test. 
And you think about like God testing Abraham, for instance, and, you know, offer your son, Isaac, uh, on the mountain I'm going to tell you about. And like how challenging that would have been for Abraham to trust God and trust his wisdom in that moment of like, wow, this is an opportunity to show my faith and to grow in my faith. I even think about the the manna in the wilderness. God said he was using that to test his people. And when you go back and look at that story, it's really cool because God said, only gather so much for that day. Uh, You don't gather more. You don't gather too much. If you do, it's going to spoil. And what they end up doing is trying to gather too much and it ends up spoiling. And God was using that to teach them that they have to rely on his word each and every day to get through the wilderness of trial. And that was helping their faith. That that was ultimately what the whole manna thing was about to begin with, was to test their faith in him. And so I think we need to see our trials just like that as well. It's a way to prove our faith. I like the way that verse 12 said this, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. That That's, again, what the testing is bringing forth is the approval before God, that our faith in him um, got us through this. And so I love that idea um, there in verse 12. Yeah, and thank God that we serve a God who is able to redeem our trials. Uh, We do not have to suffer needlessly. We can let the trials that we go through produce faith in us and produce steadfastness. And that provides so much help in difficult seasons of life when trials are numerous. Um, It doesn't have to be lost on us. We can come through that test like gold coming through fire. That's the analogy that Peter really used in other places in the Bible. That uh, fire, it can burn someone up if they let it, or it can refine us and make us stronger if we will let it. And that's what the Lord wants to do for us if we will suffer with wisdom, um, is to allow him to refine us, to make us more pure, to make us stronger, to make us more steadfast as we go through hard things. And so James opens up with nuggets of wisdom uh, about very practical uh, like how how to suffer in this life and lord willing next week that's just going to continue uh james is going to get into what really temptation is and really we'll even understand what sin is from the next uh next few verses as well and so lord willing we'll talk more about those things next week yeah thank you guys so much for listening today if you're enjoying what you hear on the pod please subscribe uh leave us a rating or review Uh, We'd love to study with you. Um, If you're interested in that, please reach out to us, 717-585-0949. You can text or call uh, or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information, check us out online at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.